It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. We've got a great show for you this week as we preview the second domain test between Australia and Sri Lanka live from Canberra. And I also get to speak to ICC T20 World Cup Chief Nick Hockley about the big fixture announcement. We're going to start with looking ahead to the second test at Monica Oval in Canberra, which is hosting its maiden test match. So who better to preview the clash than a man who was on deck for the first test at the MCG, SCG, Adelaide Oval, Perth Stadium, I definitely know that for sure. The whole lot... Please welcome cricket.com.au senior writer, Andrew Rambo-Ramsey. Isn't it exciting to be at the, the launch of a new venue when the second test becomes the first test? Is it time travel? I'm not sure, but uh, this is the second time we've been to the second test, which is the first test this summer. This is doing my head in. This is like particle <laughs> physics. <laughs> All right, you're up there in Brisbane. Rambo, you saw it unfold Australia's innings and 40-run win over Sri Lanka. What are your thoughts? What was your, sort of your big picture takeaway from that first test match? Uh, pretty impressive all-round performance. Not from Sri Lanka, overly. They weren't over that impressive. But uh, you know, the excitement of new players coming into the team. There's the excitement of day-night cricket, the return of the pink ball. Um, probably Australia's, dare I say, best test pitch. Uh, certainly the one with the most bounce and carry and the one that the players love playing on, maybe if not so much for an Sri Lankan batsman, but um, all those factors and the fact that it was over in two and a half days pretty much underscores that it was one-way traffic. But uh, I think you know, a lot of the things that have been concerning Australian cricket over the preceding series against India, there, there were some positive signs to come out of that. Positive signs, that's what we want to see. Well, now we're in Canberra uh, before the first test. Australia selectors added the uncapped batter Curtis Patterson to the first test squad and he made his debut. Uh, for the second test, they've added uncapped all-rounder Marcus Stoinis to the second test squad. Rambo, is he going to make his debut? Uh, well, we, as you say, we are in Canberra. So these things in Canberra normally settled with a uh, closed doors leadership ballot as to decide who goes where in the there order. There could be a spill. There could be a player-led motion and they would come on, someone come out and say, yes, Tim Payne, seven votes. <laughs> Marcus Stoinis, two votes. Um, but it'd be hard to change that team. Justin Langer said after the Brisbane test that it would be tough to change the 11. So emphatic was their win. Um, the only thing you could think was if there was someone deemed worthy of a spell or if they get to... Monica Oval tomorrow and have a look at the pitch and they think, oh, this is going to be pretty flat. We may need an extra bowling option uh, given that it is the, the sixth test of the summer and um, most of those bowlers, apart from Joe Richardson, have done a fair bit of test match bowling up until this stage. So that might be the only thing. I think that's why they, they added the all-rounder into the mix just in case it looks like a bit of a road and they don't want to be bowling for two days with just the four bowlers. Curious selection because, they, like you said, Langan doesn't want to really change that side. 
and the top six all performed pretty well. The youngsters did well, even Patterson on debut. He only made 30, but it was in the toughest conditions during the test match, and he also took one hell of a catch. One hell of a catch. Uh, he's an impressive-looking cricketer, Curtis Patterson. People hadn't seen a lot of him beforehand, or those who don't watch the Sheffield Shield too closely hadn't seen a lot of him, but certainly under the lights at the Gabba against the pink ball, the second new ball it was too when he was out there. Um, he looked very composed and assured and looked like he belonged, as they say. Um, and again, everyone got a start. No one went on to make 100. I guess the disappointment would have been uh, that a couple of guys at the top of the order didn't uh, kick on, having reached you know 15 or 20. Um, but yeah, I mean, Justin Langer did say at the end he was there was a lot to, to be impressed with and um, you'd have to think that uh, the same 11 would be uh, a reasonably good chance coming into this second test of the series. Well, let's talk about the century drought. Minus Lubbershane and Travis Head got as close as any Australian has done to getting to triple figures this summer. Do you reckon, Rambo, there's now a bit of a mental barrier for some of the Australian batsmen to get over the line and post a century? Um, I assume there's always a bit of a mental barrier when you get close to 100. I've you know, The nervous 90s? I've never done it with runs. I'm certainly getting close in years lived, but... <laughs> Um, and I'm very nervous about that. But um, I don't know that that would be a, a huge factor when you're out there in the middle thinking, oh, heavens, no one's done it before and during the course of this summer. Uh, I think it's more a case of um, certainly Manus Labashain would be kicking himself water for days because uh, he had a 100 there for the taking and the, the ball that he got out to and the shot that he got out to was probably one that he doesn't want to relive too often. It was uh, um, a little bit... Oh, Lapse in concentration. It was like, a stinker. It was a stinker. Um, so he, he may never get a better chance to make a test century. Um, Travis Head was undone by a pretty good ball. Um, but you just kind of think that there's not many hundreds scored against the pink ball, I don't think. To, to, certainly not in Australia. It's uh, a pretty rare and it is difficult batting, especially at night. So that's not surprising in a way. You'd have to think that come conditions in Canberra, if we are, if they are what we expect them to be, this could be the time. Mm. Well, there's, uh, this Monica Rebel wicket has been traditionally batter-friendly. We don't know a whole lot about it. New South Wales play Queensland back here uh, in November when the Blues won by 163 runs. Labashane made 52 against the then-test attack. Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins and Nathan Lyon. And Lyon took eight wickets for the match, including five for 94 in the second innings. Now, Lyon would know this venue pretty well, having been a curator here for, for four years when he moved from Young over here to uh, to take up um, a trade and start playing some grey cricket. He also said that he never once curated the Monica over wicket to take spin, although he did say that he did it for his uh, club <laughs> that that ground took a lot of spin bowling so um, the word I've heard recently in the past couple of days is that they're going to put a bit of grass on this wicket a nice lush even covering of grass but that normally uh, goes by the wayside on match eve when they bring out the mower and trim it down so we really don't know what we're going to get here no we don't and it has been quite hot here in Canberra I think it was certainly hot when we arrived today it was 40 degrees or thereabouts a couple of days ago so they would have had to pump a fair bit of water into it um, to make sure it holds together um, it'll be a lot of nerves for the the curating staff I would have thought first test match at the ground you don't want it to fall apart you don't want it to be a, a raging green seamer and have a team bowled out for 60 in a session mm. as sometimes happens in test cricket um, so you'd have to think they would err on the side of uh, good flat surface you know 
they, as the the cliche goes, bit in it for both teams, bit for for bat and for ball, and aim to get a result on the final session of day five. But uh, this is the glorious thing about playing the first test of the venue. This is another one of the unknown unknowns. That's right. You know, and by the end of the test match, it's going to be the best test surface that this uh, ground has ever produced, and the greatest test match it's ever hosted, and and, and the worst <laughs> by that reckoning. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, we always talk about these corporate pitches back in the day, which were long, flat wickets that used to drag out five days, and they were no fun for everyone. But we're in Canberra. I mean, there's probably no better place for a corporate pitch than Canberra. Well, that's right. Maybe there should be some sort of referenda on what the pitch should be like. People can vote as they go come in the gate, and they trim it ac- accordingly. That would be the people's pitch, which the- would be highly appropriate for the national capital. Oh, it's also a very big ground. I remember yeah. I once played on there in a uh, team that was captained by Merv Hughes and I had to field in the deep. I just remember it took a lot of running. That was not just to field the ball. That was just to get out of Merv's line of sight. So uh, it is a very big ground. How'd you go? I made four. <laughs> is this a, a glorious cover drive or is a French cut down the, <laughs> down the fine leg? And a couple of quick singles and uh, an inside edge onto the pad that rebounded over the slips. Okay. Hey, you can take them. The scorebook always says, uh, doesn't say how you got them, just That's says right. that you got them. It's, it's there for posterity. <laughs> now, we, because uh, we don't think there's going to be too many changes to the 11, we've got to focus on the people who are still in the side. And one of the uh, players that has been under the spotlight is Mitchell Stark. He's um, had a pretty tough summer, I guess. He's bowled with tremendous pace and at times a fair bit of hostility, but was wayward uh, at times during the um, India series and then up in Brisbane with that pink ball. Didn't get to swing as much as probably people would have thought. Uh, Jai Richardson probably swung it the most. Rambo, you were there. Is that fair to say Richardson was the, the big swinger up there? Yeah, and he, he got it to swing late too, so uh, I think that's half the battle, isn't it? There's no point hooping it around. Um, Mitch Stark did get it to swing a bit, but it was often badly directed, so it would swing you know, way down the leg side or... Once it was past the bat, it began to, to swing. Sort of, he um, did was clocked at bowling 150 kilometres an hour in the on the second day. Sorry, the third day, which is also the last day. Um, there have been people, as I think Brett Lee said during the commentary, that he should just run in and bowl flat out and not worry about you know things like direction and just get angry and get fast. And so he he got fast, but it, if it's not well directed, and Sri Lankans didn't seem to have much trouble, they could sweat on the, the full deliveries that didn't swing, so they'd punch them back down the ground and just get out of the way of the, the short, faster ones. So, um, yeah, he, he may enjoy going back to the red ball. I don't think he's ever been a huge fan of the pink ball, even though he's got quite an impressive record with it. Mm. Um, and the word here is that uh, reverse swing, Pat Cummins said after the test that reverse swing might become a bit more of a factor on the, the, uh, the centre wicket block in Canberra, so um, that is one of Mitch's favourite uh, tools. So that might be the the making of him. Maybe he takes a couple of yards off the pace and uh, gets it swinging around late, in which case he can go through a team pretty quickly. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if this sort of change of attitude by the Australians, they're not in the face, not getting as aggro as they used to. I wonder if that's affected Mitch. More than others, he was a guy that really liked getting in the contest, as they like to say, you know, um, firing a few shots at the batter uh, verbally, I guess. But uh, he did a little bit of that in Brisbane, but not a whole lot. I wonder if he's struggling to find um, his new rhythm, not through the bowling crease, but so much the way that he reacts and behaves on the field. Mm. Do you think he swapped the swing for a smile? Is that what you're saying? 
maybe, maybe. I'm not sure he would have wanted to do that. But, uh, you know, some players really feed off um, off the contest, I guess. Virat Kohli is one to do so. I wonder if Mitchell Stark is in the same basket there, that he's the guy that uh, really needs to be not antagonised, but fired up to get the best out of him. Could be that. It could be that uh, when other things aren't working as well, you, you need that little bit of something to to stir you up and if he's just trying to generate it by running in and bowling fast other bits of the the technique or the game plan have, have not come with it um so maybe that's the answer maybe he just needs to get angry at his teammates or something because then he can do it in the private of the dressing room and come out and be angry and not show it on the field well we've got Stoinis in and he is uh has been known to do the hulk his uh his wicket celebration and the hulk when he gets angry he's not a nice person to be around so maybe Mitch should take a, a a leaf out of Marcus's book and become the the, the Hulk. He's already a Stark, so there's, there's all these Marvel characters floating around at the moment. Should be playing it uh, in Docklands in Melbourne for this game. Uh, I'll tell you another thing that, having spoken to a few players uh, during the BBL about the bowling attack and, and Stark, there's not one player that I've spoken to that doesn't think he shouldn't be there. He can bowl at 150 kilometres per hour, swing it back, um, there's not many players in the country that can do that. Uh, very few um, at all. And when he's at his best, and Tim Payne said this repeatedly, he is the best. So I guess they're going to try and unlock that, um, unlock that secret of getting Stark back to his best. Because when he's you know fit and firing, uh, and I think that might be another thing. Fatigue might be coming into it now after a long summer. He's bowled a lot of overs. When he's at his best, um, Australia generally do pretty well. And he is such a confidence bowler, as we saw. You know, he can produce that delivery like he did at the uh, first over of the the World Cup, albeit with a white ball. You know, he just and that can if you produce one of those in your first over and skittle someone's stumps, and you're probably you're up and running immediately, aren't you? Um, and Pat Cummins said the same thing. He was asked about his uh, aspirations to take the new ball. He said, "No, you know, Mitch Stark is the guy who who does it. He does it so well." He seemed to think that he was not far away from returning to one of his best performances. It's just, as he said, it was going to take a couple of things to go his way and he, he'll be off and, and going. So, um, But I guess the the trick for Australia is they want it to happen fairly soon because this is a, a big year with a World Cup and, and then an Ashes campaign in England coming up. You probably don't want him uh, searching for answers when it gets to uh, April or May. Yeah, and he's taken 200 test wickets. He's played 50 test matches now. Kind of get the feel that he's just sort of searching, maybe pushing a little bit too hard for that magic delivery, which we all know he can bowl instead of letting it come naturally. Um, 50 test matches makes him one of the more senior players in this side, and Usman Khawaja is another one of those senior players who struggled for runs a little bit this summer, just the one-half century averaging 26. We've seen Sean Marsh exit the test team. Uh, He was the other senior batsman in the side without Smith and Warner there. Um, I don't think there'd be a whole lot of pressure on Kawaja internally because he's got seven test match hundreds, played 40 test matches now. But you would think that he would like a big score, especially here in Canberra, put his name on the honours board. I guess they're erecting a new honours board here for test match performances um, and just silence some of those critics heading into, I guess he's going to be part of this one-day side now, having played those three matches against India earlier this month. Um, another one of those confidence things, isn't it? Like It's not that many months ago that he played... One of the great test innings uh, over in the Emirates where he batted for eight hours or more to save a test and people who saw that innings thought that was going to be the the making of him that not only had he had all those shots that we know that he's had all that time but he had you know, he'd lost some weight and then added fitness and 
Um, but then he got that injury, so he had a bit of a interrupted start to the season. So whether he's taken time to to find his feet again, um, he's looked never really he hasn't really looked out of form. He's looked reasonably good, but then has some terrible lapses. And that one in Brisbane, a bit like Manus's shot, he won't want to see that one again. You're trying to cut the ball too close to him and squeezing it onto his stumps. I mean, you just wonder whether that's a clouded mind when you get shot selection like that or whether it is a confidence thing and just trying to invent things to, to get you going in an innings or to rotate the strike or whatever. But um, That's been the thing for him, isn't it? He's just his strike rate. He doesn't seem to be rotating the strike a lot. He's been, been bogged down, it seems. And then when we asked him about it uh, ahead of the fourth test against India... Typical Usman Khawaja fashion, he completely unfazed by it. He just he's working through it. It's just been good bowling, essentially, not so much that anything he's done differently. But I guess if you're rotating the strike, you're down the other end. Uh, more often than not, you're going to be scoring more runs. Yeah, true. And, and you do wonder whether he, in those phases of the game, whether he starts to get a little bit too inventive. I think we saw a few times in the India series, he pulled out the reverse sweep, and which he plays pretty well, in fairness. Um, but whether that's uh, a sort of a higher risk version of knocking the ball into the gaps and just taking the one here and there, which is what Chiteshwar Pajara did so well. He was just able to, you know, if he was getting bogged down, just to knock the ball around, rotate the strike a bit, and then find the boundaries when he had to. So I'm pretty sure that uh, Usman will find his range at some point, whether he uh, a chance to bat on a what is supposed to be a batter-friendly pitch in Canberra may suit him um, or whether he then just goes back to white ball cricket and looks to uh, finding some touch there but you'd have to think it's not that far away because he's too good a player to be out of form for too long Absolutely, what about the Sri Lankans Rambo coming off a uh, pretty nasty loss up there in Brisbane and there are going to be some changes to their 11 if there's none for the Australians there definitely will be some for the visitors uh, Chamira has been ruled out with injury they've brought in uncapped right on quick Chamika Karunaratna and he's going to replace Lahiru Kumara for this second test match um, you'd have to think having a game under their belt albeit a day night match against the pink ball they're going to perform better in Canberra and what is as we've said traditionally a batter friendly wicket um, who they bring in we're not really sure but uh, you would expect a better showing from Sri Lanka in this test match oh you'd think so no, it, in fairness to them that as Tim Payne said at the end of the test match, you know, there are teams in Australia that struggle when they first get to the Gabba at the start of a season and try and cope with the, the pace and bounce. 30 test matches Australia haven't lost since there? No, no, it's a, it is a happy hunting ground for them and teams probably dread, and that's why starting the summer at Brisbane was always a, such a daunting task for a touring team. And bear in mind that Sri Lanka came from New Zealand via Tasmania, where it's it's not renowned to be fast and bouncy. Um, and they've found themselves in Brisbane using a pink ball. They haven't seen much of pink ball cricket. They've played, I think, uh, a couple of tests. In they were undefeated. It was a clash of the Titans in that respect, both sides heading into that test match, undefeated in day-night pink ball cricket. Yes, yes. I think, but the, in, I think Sri Lanka's two pink ball tests were in Bridgetown and one in the, the Emirates where, again, the ball struggles to get above knee height. So Correct. it was a bit of a, uh, an eye-opener for them. Um, they're just lacking a couple of world-class players. They've been sort of rocked by retirements and um, now injuries. You know, Angelo Matthews, their star, former captain and star all-rounder, didn't make the trip because he got injured in New Zealand. They've lost three fast bowlers, I think, which mm. is Oscar Wilde, might say, is beyond careless. Um, or with soft tissue injuries or one of them's got an ankle problem. 
So they've already flown in two extra players. And this is a long haul on the road for them. Like they were in New Zealand at the start of December. They don't finish in South Africa because they go straight there from here and play tests and white ball cricket. They don't finish there until the end of March. So they're on the road for about four months. Um, and if the rate they're losing players, uh, they may be calling in the chairman of selectors and maybe the coach to play by the end of that South African series. Uh, I'm just not convinced that Dinesh Chandamal, for all his uh, bravery, batting at number three, I'm not sure that he is a test number three. Um, they're saying they should take some inspiration from the way their keeper, Nirushan Dickwilla, plays, who comes in and uh, does like to unfurl a few shots. A bit like a Rishab pant. Very much like a Rishab. He's like a short pant. He's uh, not quite... So it uh, doesn't have the, the full range of the game and it looks like he's, you know, it's a matter of time before he hits one up in the air. But if that's going to be their method of the, uh, counter-attacking, then you think that they may you know, be in line for a, another batting collapse, the likes of which we saw in two innings in Brisbane. Um, they just need some stability. You know, Crystal Mendes, who is their big hope as a young player, um, his red ball cricket stalled a little bit, I think, of late, having made such a great start to his career. So I think the man that they they need to bat around at the top of the order is Karuna Ratna. He's the, the guy who is you know, the Sri Lankan Pujara. I've heard him described as that if he stays put, um, he's the guy that they can all sort of bat around and play their own game. But um, he made you know, 24 and 3, I think it was, up in Brisbane. And um, once he was gone, then the rest of the innings just fell into a bit of a tailspin. So... Uh, difficult to bounce back when you've had a drubbing like that, but maybe they've had a couple of extra days to, to prepare. I don't know if they've been doing naughty boy nets up in Brisbane or uh, they only arrived in Canberra today. So hopefully conditions down here might be a little bit more suited to the way they like to play. Oscar Wilde, is he any relation to Freddie Wilde, who does all those wonderful crick fizz numbers, all the stats? Oscar wasn't big on cricket, I've got to say, um, but... He would have had a couple of uh, witty sayings about cricket and uh, it would have fitted into the, the wild writing genre, I'm sure. Oh, great. Well, he does the words, Free does the numbers. That's the way it should be. What did you do with your days off? You had two days off up there? Um, I just enjoyed Brisbane on a, a public holiday weekend. It was delightful. Um, nice, balmy weather. Um, I could have gone back to Adelaide where it was 85 degrees, I think, but um, I stayed, decided to stay put in the tropics. Finally, Rambo, on the whole, how important is this test match for Australia to wrap up the series, get that much-needed, long-awaited test series? Victor haven't won a test series since the Ashes 12 months ago, um, and I guess the next prospect for them is going to be another Ashes series, a daunting one in England where they haven't won since 2001. So to get a win here... 2-0, 1-0, uh, finish off the summer and the test summer on a winning note before all this white ball stuff and then the Ashes again. Just how important is it for Justin Langer and Tim Payne? Oh, look, in a team that's evolving and a team that will change significantly you know, again with players becoming available after suspension and what have you later in the year, um, there is no better thing you can do than win matches. The trouble they had in the India series was they were... They couldn't win the big moments in, in games. You know, the India experienced players would sort of seize that from them. So to be 1-0 up in a series is uh, a good place for them to be. They can come out and um, yeah, try and boss the Sri Lankans, for want of a better word, in a nice way, of course. Mm. Um, but they, you learn a lot from you know, being in charge of a game and driving the big moments. Um, that's what they'll need to do if they're going to you know, break that ashes drought that, as you say, goes back to 2001. Um, so it's it's hugely important not just to see 
some of these younger guys find their feet further at test level but also you then go into the back half of the shield season when there's the Duke's ball so that becomes a different factor they're going to be dealing with different skill sets and other matters while some of them are off playing white ball cricket so it gives the selectors an idea of who can play who has shown a bit they like the look of Manus Labuschagne just for what he brings in sort of batting fielding and a little bit of bowling so the more you see these guys in a winning team the more you get to a true picture of their their caliber I guess and I guess everything is going to be looked through the lens of the Ashes now. Like you said, there's those four shield rounds after this series against the Dukes Ball. They've just announced the Australia A um, schedule. It's going to be there played concurrently with the World Cup. So all those players not in the World Cup side pushing for Ashes selection will uh, will play a handful of one-day matches. Then they've got two tour matches. And then there's the Australia versus Australia A game on the eve of the first test, which... Could be, very well be a selection shootout when you've got the 22 best red ball players in the country playing in another country um, ahead of the first test. And then, you know, while that's happening, there's the World Cup that's just happened. There's 10 one days against Sri Lanka, uh, against India and Pakistan away, uh, warm-up games, training camps. You went wrong when you were saying it was a big year. And then by the time the Ashes finish, they come back to Australia and the season starts again. And it's another big year. Cheapers. There's going to be a lot of Australians in England, I gather. If, if there's going to be Australia A team, the Australia Test squad, the one-day squad for the World Cup, there's going to be players over there with county cricket. It's going to be like the reverse first fleet. We're sending more people back to England than came out here uh, in 1788. Plus you've got, I think there's a youth squad over there and, and the women's side as well. They've got the women's ashes over there as well. That's right. You, you better you, Car parks will be freely available throughout Australia during the middle of the year because everyone will be in England for cricket. We might even be there, Andrew. Uh, I'm not sure what the return... Because well, I came out on the first fleet, so mine wasn't a return ticket. Isn't it a reciprocal rights thing? you got to go there, you, you go over there, They some, someone over here, and if you go back, you know, it does the same thing. So. Only if I steal a loaf of bread, apparently, which, <laughs> yeah, given my rations, is probably a, a fair chance. All right, well, we'll, we'll end it there. <laughs> um, we'll leave all our ashes previous stuff until the end of this test match because it's uh, who knows Curtis Patterson might make 200 and throw himself into that, that first test 11 uh, at Edgbaston over there in August um, you know Marcus Harris Will Pukowski could debut Marcus Onis could debut we don't know these things so we'll do some ashes throw forwards at the conclusion of this test match but uh, as it stands that's the end of this segment of the podcast thanks for coming on Rambo thanks for having me All right, we're here at the SCG for the unveiling of the T20 World Cup fixtures and the pools and everything that goes with it for the men's and women's tournaments in 2020. CEO of the T20 World Cup, Nick Hockley, is here to join us. And uh, Nick, big, spectacular event. How did it all go? Oh, thanks, Sam. Look, it's um, it's been a big effort from lots of people to pull together all the fixtures and it's just great to be able to tell fans all around the world how to get involved and where their teams will be playing, against who, in which venues, on what days, and it's really made the whole thing feel a, a whole lot more real. Well, I was going to say, it's not far away now, isn't it? Uh, a little over a year? How 388 much? days. Uh, until <laughs> but the, who's uh, counting? Until the opening ball of the, the Women's T20 World Cup. All right. Um, tell us, before we get into the nitty-gritty, uh, T20 World Cup used to be the World T20. Why the name change? Yeah, so this is a change that ICC made after the last event in the West Indies, the Women's World T20. And I think it's 
people have been calling it the the T20 World Cup for some time now and um, really it's a small but important change that validates that cricket has three amazing formats they've all got a place and and really with the the rise of T20 cricket uh, it's recognition that the 50 over World Cup and the 20 over World Cup are on a par. It's pretty cool too now that we'll have the T20 World Cup, the 50 over World Cup, and then they'll be, be the World Test Championship too. So uh, there's always something to strive for in every format. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing with T20, it's um, very clearly it's the globalising format of the game. It's the, the growth format to bring new people in, be that kids or, or new competing countries. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about is the possibility of some real emerging cricketing nations uh, playing in 2020. We've seen... Um, just today, as we've announced, Afghanistan have qualified straight through to the yeah. the, the Super 12s as one of the top eight qualifiers. So um, this is the format where lots of different countries can can make it onto the big the big time, and lots of different upsets as well. Because T20 cricket, you only one or two players they go off, and then uh, that can win your side the match. Yeah, absolutely. One of the bits of vision we showed was the the last 12 balls from uh, the the last uh, World Cup in India, and. Um, as you know, I'm I'm an Englishman, and the equation was 27 runs off um, the last 12 balls, and Carlos Brathwaite did it with with two to spare. So anything can happen, mate. I was in the I was in the uh, the Eden Gardens press box writing the match report for that game, and I had it all sorted out. I remember Chris Jordan bowling that penultimate over as a plane slow over here at the SCG, uh, and uh, I think he bowled a dot ball of the last ball of his, of the second last over, and I thought, you know what? 19 off one over there's no way that they're going to win that so I had England and then, and then Brathwaite comes out and does that and Ian Bishop's great call so lots of great memories for the uh, T20 World Cup uh, this will be the first time that the tournaments will be standalone mm-hmm. men's and women's uh, will have their own tournaments can you tell us back to when that first started out and how that decision came to be yeah so um, really it was a case of looking at a whole range of World Cups uh, I think we had a really good look at the 2015 FIFA Women's World Cup in Canada, which was a, a massive event here. We had the Netball World Cup in 2015. Um, and it, it was really felt that uh, playing in prime time in the right size venues after school and after work uh, is, is really the way to get a crowd. And we, um, you know, looking at those other, uh, f- other World Cups, um, it, was, it was a pretty straightforward decision in the end. And uh, what was brilliant um, about hosting the two standalone in the same country is it really makes 2020 uh, a, a whole year-long festival of, of T20 cricket, booking en- book ending the, with the end of the previous season and, and the start of the next. I oh, know you have to wait till 2050 f- for the next one, right? For the, we can do a uh, 50 over a year-long celebration of cricket, of 50 over cricket, but we might not be around uh, <laughs> to see that win, <laughs> Nick. Um, and I guess you must get a lot of satisfaction and. and um, you must be really thrilled about how the WBBL final was attended at Dremoyne Oval. It was a sellout crowd of more than 5,500 people. I know you've got a, a lofty ambition of selling out the MCG on International Women's Day, which is going to be the Women's T20 World Cup final. But to see that appetite for women's cricket at a domestic competition, you must be, um, you must be thrilled and boosted by that uh, heading towards that, uh, that final on March 8. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, fantastic. It was a sellout. A, a cracking game. I took my girls, uh, my two daughters down, and the thing that I really, um, really liked about that 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 game and that atmosphere is when you looked at the crowds, there were just there were families and there were clearly some um, you know very knowledgeable, um, passionate cricket fans, 
um, and everyone just having a fantastic time and um, just some quality cricket. So, so I think um, you know, it's all about stepping stones. We saw a, an amazing stepping stone in 2017 with the 50 over Women's World Cup final at Lords um, when England beat India in front of a sold out crowd. And, um, you know, it's the momentum keeps on building. And, um, you know, I think what we announced today is that with matches all around the tournament, all around the country and uh, playing uh, the semi-finals, both semi-finals at the SCG for a blockbuster doubleheader and then the final at the MCG is that, um, you know, we've set a, a pretty lofty ambition. And um, but when you hear the players talk and, uh, you know, people are going to get behind it and um, we're really excited. And I think all Australian fans, especially cricket fans, should go out there and try and beat their Ashes rivals. If they've got a sold-out crowd at Lords for the 50-over final, surely they should be able to beat that crowd. So uh, all Australian fans, if you're not going to do it to support the women's game, which you absolutely should, do it just to beat England. <laughs> That's the next one. Uh, how about the men's tournament? Um, 12 competing nations, 8 automatically qualify. Can you talk to us about the qualification tournament that begins, or that precedes the, the Super 12 stage? Yes, yeah, so... Um, so there'll be a qualifying tournament later this year and that will be to whittle down to uh, the final six teams that will qualify through. So uh, this morning we announced 10 of the teams will be competing in uh, in 2020 and that qualifying tournament will comprise of the six teams um, that played in the last T20 World Cup in India but didn't make it through automatically to Australia. Um, so you've got some fantastic countries there, the likes of Ireland, Scotland, the Netherlands, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, and um, then for those that make it through, they can expect to meet either Sri Lanka or Bangladesh in the first round of the Super 12, of the super first round of the tournament in Australia. Um, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh finish ninth and 10th respectively. So they need to compete in the first round to make it through to the Super 12s. There's a lot to play for. I think that's a beauty about T20 World Cups is that every game has high stakes. I mean, if you lose one or win one, it could dra- dramatically change where you finish in the ladder and to get to that semi-final spot. Mm. And I think um, the other, the other uh, thing that's changed is that rather than two co- teams coming up from the super, sorry, from fr- two teams coming up from the first round, there are now four teams coming up uh, from the first round. So it makes that first round you know, everything to play for. We've got um, Sri Lanka playing three games in Geelong, and as you know. There's just a huge Sri Lankan yeah. uh, community in, in Victoria. So expect Geelong to, uh, to really uh, uh, turn out for Sri Lanka. And then similarly, we've got um, Bangladesh playing three matches in Hobart. Looking back on past T20 World Cups, what have you learnt from those and what have you brought from them and maybe changed into the two editions that are going to be here in Australia in 2020? So one thing we're very focused on is that it's a really intense competition for the players. So... There's a, not much of a gap between matches. There's lots of travel all around the country. So we're, we're very focused on making sure the experience of the players and the match officials is really seamless um, because ultimately we want them to perform at that best. We want them to be putting on Carlos Brathwaite type performances <laughs> here, here in Australia. Um, uh, but what that affords us is that we can really create festivals, festivals around the World Cup. So festivals coming to each of the host cities because it's such a cons- concentrated spell of action. Um, and that's both for the women's and the men's. All right. And uh, what about the um, regularity of the T20 World Cup? Or is this going to be a four-year thing, a two-year thing moving forward? What's it looking like? Yeah, so the women's uh, T20 World Cup has uh, had a pretty constant rhythm of every two years. Um, but this will be in Australia in 2020. It'll be the, 
the first for four years. So the last one was back in, in 2016. Um, I think going forward, the ICC is reverting to to two years. Um, and that's that's to give all the different competing teams around the world an opportunity to play on the world stage. So theoretically, I think it's something like 70 plus countries mm. can qualify through all the different qualifying tournaments to make it through to the T20 World Cup. And I guess that's when people say that uh, T20 cricket should be just franchise or provincial cricket and then only play international cricket at these events. But for all those nations that are aspiring to compete on a global stage, it means a whole lot to them, doesn't it? Uh, you only had to listen to Rashid Khan this morning about what it means uh, in Afghanistan. And, yeah, I mean, I think um, we've also seen, I mean, they're performing brilli- brilliantly. Yeah. They're where they've won a majority of their last um, few matches so yeah no it's if, if you're going to have a world cup it needs to be a genuine world cup and that means the world needs to be able to compete to be world champions all right i put dave richardson the icc chief uh, on the spot just a moment ago about his tips i know it's a long way out and there's a lot of water to go under the bridge yet but you've got to give me your uh, and i know you want to see a close contest you want to see a carlos brathwaite type final but uh who's your tip to take out the two titles Oh, I think a lot can change between no, them. see, look, they've got um, the caveats out there already. Um, and uh, also, as the organisers, we shouldn't we shouldn't really be um, taking sides. But um, you can probably tell from my accent that <laughs> uh, I'm from England originally. And uh, yeah, I think it's been fantastic to see in you know T20 and ODI cricket, you know, playing with just such confidence and aggression. And um, it'll be interesting to see. How they go, I know there'll be massive pressure on the Australian sides, yep. massive pressure on uh, the women's team to win. Uh, four out of six. Four out of six, yeah. So um, massive pressure on the men's. Um, and, um, you know, they've got a bit further down the rankings. So they've got a bit bit of a further way to go. But they've, they've never won a T20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as you say, I'm looking forward to lots of competitive cricket and a few upsets. The correct answer was Australia for both of them, but that's all right for those <laughs> playing at home. And, and just finally, um, I guess one of the real... Um, great aspects of this tournament, especially the women's tournament, is the price of the tickets and how fans can get those. I think they're $5 for children. You can get t- tickets for $20 um, for the other games. Uh, do you want to explain a little bit of that and where they can get them from? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, we've just wanted to make sure that um, price isn't a barrier and that uh, everyone who wants to come to, to a World Cup match can. So uh, for the women's World Cup, we'll be going on sale in three weeks and uh, all tickets uh, or all matches I should say will have adults tickets from $20 and every single kids ticket uh, to the World Cup including the final uh, the MCG will be $5 that's fantastic so uh, where, what's the website where can they go to um, so uh, if everyone signs up at t20worldcup.com uh, if you sign up in the next couple of weeks then um, you'll get access to a pre-sale um, so, so get in quick Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, mate, and appreciate it. And uh, all the best in the next year or so. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for your support. Cheers. That's it for this week's episode. Now, if you like what you heard, why don't you go and do yourself a favor and subscribe to the Unplayable Podcast on Apple iTunes and Spotify. If not for me, do it for old Rambo. He gets a real kick out of it. And for every subscription, $1 goes to his bank account. <laughs> We're just kidding. He earns way too much money. He does not need the dollar. Now, there is bulk cricket, and I repeat, bulk cricket going on at the moment, from the Domain Test Series to the KFC BBL and the WNCL, which is starting again from this Friday. So for all your news, scores, and video on all that and much, much more, 
headedcricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.